1: Hey, happy Tuesday! And thanks for many of you responding to our Picadillo episode that just played and is coming soon to Amazon and Vimeo. We played around for the day with Porsches, which was was <laughs> your least favorite day ever. Yeah, it was my happy place. Yeah, it I know. Was so I was great, aware. and
0: I didn't have enough time to tour the whole campus. I, I didn't get enough time <laughs> to
1: tour the campus. It was there's stuff in the building I didn't get to see <laughs> to tour the campus. It was so great. I can't wait to go back. It, it was cool. It was cool. But thank you to all of you for responding for that because as we've mentioned before, that was our fastest shoot ever. I don't recommend still that, by the way. I should tell it worked that. out. But we did have a lot of fun. We've got a lot more good stuff coming. Uh, actually, we've got three more new episodes coming. This coming weekend is actually The Middles, which will allow some of the online stuff to catch up. But The Middles was an episode from last season, which was the Veloster n the Civic uh, SI, and the uh, Golf. Uh, what was the, the rabbit just, edition? Just the rabbit GTI. The rabbit edition. There you go. A little bit of a rabbit on the back. <laughs> Yay, rabbit in, in tarmac color, which I'm still not really sure about. I'd like like that in tarmac. Mud. Tarmac. I get that in asphalt. Hot, sizzling asphalt. You know it. You know it. So that happened. Uh, By the way, it's cold outside here. Very, very cold. Lots of snow. And uh, we still have jackets for sale for about another week or so. If you want a host jacket, those are still available. We'd love for you to get one. So that is happening. And uh, what else is happening? Oh, the Phaeton is running and the Lancer is not. That continues. (laughs) So sorry,
0: man. All right. Well, huge thanks to our TV host Covercraft for bringing the season to you, and Grio's Garage. I've used Grio's for twenty years, longer than that, which I can't believe. Mm-hmm. I'm admitting that. And Haggerty. So we're going to be doing more stuff with Haggerty this year, and we're yep. very excited. Speaking of which, I was watching the auction week. Oh yeah, the Scottsdale yeah, yeah, yeah. auction week, and of course Barrett Jackson was covered wall to wall nonstop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we noticed that the first C8 Corvette Stingray sold for $3 million to Rick Hendrick. Hendrick Motorsports. I need a write-off. What can I buy? Now, it's all for the kids. It is all it's for the for kids. The it's Children's also for the write-off, but yes. But yes, it was really $3 million?
1: It's It's a okay. write-off. It's, those charity things are always a write-off. You get a car, you get the bragging rights, you get your name in the news, but ultimately, the accountant loves it. <laughs> loves it. For sure.
0: So a couple of things struck me there's a lot of knowledgeable people there mm-hmm. about a lot of cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a wealth of knowledge. For that, sure, for sure. You know, all kinds of the, the old stuff and what did this and what hot rodding trick there. Okay, so it was, leave all that aside. When you watch a McLaren Senna go across the auction block and get sold for $860,000. Now, that's not a lot of... I mean, that's a lot of money. <laughs> it's all relative, yeah. But not as far as supercars, hypercars, yeah. exotics, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because over here at RM Sotheby's, they sold a 2017 Ford GT for $923,500. But then there was a Pagani Huayra showing less than 200 miles that sold for $2.37 So mm. therefore, you could have had three McLaren Senna's for the price of a Pagani.
1: Wow. Wow, okay. When you put
0: it like that, you think, well, wait, that's a bargain.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: Senna's, I didn't think Senna's were under a million. I thought they were just all... Bring him at least a million to play. $860,000 and you could have a Senna?
1: Yes. That's not nothing. That's it, it's still a lot of money. But more you, money than I have. Let's be you know, honest. There's well, money, more money than most of us combined. Uh, yeah, but, but here's the other thing I do wonder about in that regard. Honestly, how much is styling a factor? Unknown. And also, unknown. how much is just rarity a factor? Because they they have made Senas and they feel like <laughs> current. for everybody. They, yeah, they feel current. The streets are and littered. They're, and they're not Senna's. known to be attractive. And they're not really a car I think you want to take on a road. Now, granted, when you're buying these kind of cars with this kind of money, you might not be driving them anyway. Yeah, which is the problem. the styling success that the Wyra is, I have a soft spot for that car anyway, but the styling success that it is suggests to me that in an auction environment, it will always do better than the Senna. If there were thirty, yes. if there were thirty Sennas, it'd be a different animal. Okay, but I don't fair know how enough. many of there are. There's, there's more well, there than were, that. There were a
0: handful at the yeah. auction, but anyway, yeah. Keep going. I, I was just
1: fascinated. Okay, yeah, so sure. I,
0: I have to tease Mike Joy and Steve McNante. They were the hosts for Barrett Jackson for the okay. whole week. Yeah, yeah. Right? Tough job. I'm, actually. I'm lightly teasing them, just yeah. just ever so lightly, because a 2007 Lotus Elise came across the block. <laughs> it's you know when the, when it rolls up, the hosts start talking about the car, and they uh-huh. could tell you, look, they have knowledge I don't. Sure. Sure. But in in the spirit of teasing, the car rolled up and they said, well, yeah, I believe it's got uh, four-wheel discs and, um, <laughs> hmm. well, let's talk about Colin Chapman and the founder of Lotus. I know
1: nothing about this car.
0: And it was just sort of like, wait, what? One of our favorite cars we yeah. release and, and tell anything about it, say yeah. something and... Anyway, that didn't come. So I'm lightly teasing them for that. But of well, course they could tell me about the chrome trim on the fifty five with this fifty six. No, that's that's and of course they could. Why yeah, isn't that sure. gas count filler on the outside of this car? Oh, that was hot routed. You must have to fill that from the inside and all this stuff. They know <laughs> endless amounts of stuff. Yeah. You would think there's always stuff to learn and I'm always happy to learn that. Yeah. But it was just it was sort of funny, like the Elise. You know, we talk about it all the time and they're like, Yeah, it's I think it's got four wheel discs. Well, but that's the other thing though. You you and know, I've talked about yeah. those
1: before. What happens is a lot of those kind of more normal, and especially European sports cars, that's not their wheelhouse. It isn't. And it and But but the thing <laughs> that surprised me, though, is as big as Barrett-Jackson is, you would think, and I'm sure there are, that there are multiple people. Like the the um, the Car Talk guys had this. They had a whole mm-hmm. staff. Mm-hmm. Somebody would call and had a whole staff that would actually do research behind the scenes while they were kind of drawing it out and doing talking. Sure, okay? right, right. You would think those guys at Barrett-Jackson have got those kind of prep folks. And so if a Lotus Elise and comes they probably on, do. where's where's the, the cue sheet? for the Lotus. Sure. Lists. So nobody bothered to just, Look up the, and, Google, the Google page. Anyway, Google I, it. Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> somebody get us something in front of us so that we at least know it's a four-cylinder It weighs 2,000 pounds so that nobody, somebody doesn't go, oh, that's got a V10 in it. Exactly. Because normally like, happens. Yeah. Was that an orange Ferrari? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it has to be in that
0: accent, but it's, you know what I mean. It's
1: yellow, and it doesn't have a V10, but thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. I just – I thought – and they could tease
0: me back for all kinds of stuff. Uh, of course. So it's of all we the spirit of, sure. yeah. hey, there's always stuff to learn at any level, which I love, and it was really fascinating and cool to see a lot of cars come across the block. It was amazing. So it was, yeah, wall-to-wall coverage, live, and it was just, it was crazy. So it's, a lot it's, of cool cars. It's
1: but, a city of cars.
0: You know, I see M3s. A year ago, I saw an M3, an E30 M3 sell for like $30,000 because nobody really knew what it, what it was or wanted it. I'm going now, the Paul it, it, nobody, Walker the Bear, collection. The
1: Barrett-Jackson folks weren't looking for any, they, for E30 M3. Yeah, sure. Huh? The
0: Paul Walker collection, of course auctioned off five M3s Oof. in varying uh, you know, model years yeah 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 those went you know there were a lot of you know a lot of money but yeah. I think it was because of his name was attached of course it was yeah. rather
1: than just hey an E30 M3 in yeah. white and yeah was yeah, like, yeah. Uh, okay that wouldn't have done well on its own it would have it would have done okay but not and well we're over here like the Holy grail! of <laughs> I, Why am I not there? Why do I not have extra cash? Yeah, that exactly, exactly is how it happens, for sure. So,
0: of course, a lot of stuff to learn, and it, it was really cool. So, I know Haggerty was there, and they were real busy and providing valuations, so that was mm-hmm. really cool. And I know Griot's was there, as a matter of yeah, fact. They yeah. were exhibiting at uh, at the auction week, so I, I hear it's like a, a little tent city that pops up. It's stuff all over town, which is
1: It's a monster city, nuts for sure. Of course nuts, it is. So. While you're here listening to the podcast, we have, yes, another one of our best of is happening this week. Not best of the podcast, but we're talking about about best cars from different manufacturers. This episode, Topic Tuesday, is Kia through Mini. Mm. We're going to cover a lot of more manufacturers while we're here. But while we're here, I do have to say this. Do us a favor. A lot of times you guys ask ways you can help the show. The number one way you can help this show, this podcast, is give it a rating and review. It doesn't matter how many ratings and reviews we already have, and we have many, and thank you guys. What's interesting about what happens with the ratings of podcasts and how people find them in the algorithms, it has to do with that engagement. Mm-hmm. So when you guys rate and review, that actually drives more people to the podcast. It helps it come up in people's searches. Please help us there because it really genuinely is one of the easiest and most helpful things you can do for this podcast. When we're searching for cars for this show or for our own crazy obsession, our searches always start with AutoTempest. Instead of searching each car site separately, you can enter all your parameters in AutoTempest one time and search them all at once.
0: With AutoTempest, you can enter your search one time and see results from Cars.com, TrueCar, eBay, and many more. Or you can jump to Craigslist, AutoTrader, or CarGurus without entering anything new. They just added a link to
1: Facebook Marketplace, too auto tempest can help you find your next new or used car if there's a dozen in your neighborhood or two in the entire country so if you're doing your drive homework you're chasing your dream car or just looking to feed the disease as we always are head to autotempest.com all the cars one search
0: jumping into the kia through many best of continuing the series and we're going back about a decade for all of these manufacturers And really the headspace is the best of from each manufacturer, whatever that is, whether it serves families or whether it serves Mm -hmm. sports car enthusiasts, whatever that does, what is the best of in that category and in that portfolio of a company's car?
1: If you like those brands, this is also an opportunity for us to talk about a lot of those cars that get overlooked because there's something, there's, there's a standout in a segment. And so another manufacturer makes a car that's solid, but not as good as the standout. But you're a person that shops that market or you shop that brand. This is how to find out some of those cars we really like in all of those areas. Kia, I have two, but where'd you go? I've got two as well. Okay.
0: And I was trying to think, Kia, let's go 10 years back. Let's go five years back. Huh. Hmm. Kia, six years back. Nope. Did you do the sole, though?
1: The first sole? I, I expected that was not. a shoe in.
0: I did not. Even though I like the soul and I have professed undying love for you the soul. many times, actually. And I do like it. I just don't know that it rates as the best of.
1: Okay, fair. I, fair, I, fair. I,
0: I could be pushed over the edge, but as much as I like it, as much as I, I think it's cool and does fit, I'm not sure because it, it doesn't go far enough in any
1: direction. I think you, you, you know liked I mean? the first gen when it was new versus its competition more than you like the second jet that's the impression I've got for sure
0: for sure and I just I like it for a myriad of things but then if you push in any direction oh off road cargo capability sporting sure, sure ride height and you push further in every direction it's it starts to let you know okay. let you down alright but you know, I, I like the commercials. You're creeped and, out by
1: hamsters and or, or no, yeah, got it. Anyway, <laughs> it's so a six it, it's, foot hamster. It's creepy. I'm sorry, it's a little weird. But they're in tracksuits. Anyway, they're in that makes it tracksuits, That makes it
0: better. And they were listening to beats of.
1: Everything's you know, better in cool tracksuits. That's there's there's whole cultures built around cruising that. around yeah. anyway. Valour tracksuits mm. cultures built around valour tracksuits. I'm just saying that the all tracksuit all the time demeanor. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the two on my list are the Kia Stinger, specifically the GT or the GT2 flavor mm-hmm. of the Excellent. Stinger. Yep. Or the Kia Telluride. Those are my two as well. Yep. I had considered the Forte Coupe, and I know there's folks out there who are asking about, hey, what about that Forte Coupe that was built as you know it was like Kia did the '86. Except it's front-wheel
1: drive. It's more like a Civic.
0: It it doesn't rate, again, highly enough in any direction. Because as soon as you start to push on that, it's like, hey, is this a sports g-? Nope. Yeah. yeah. Is this a cargo? Nope.
1: Yeah. So it, it's in a bit in the same category as the Soul for me. Okay. All right. I see that. Yeah, I hit both the, the Stinger and the Telluride. I think both of them are good enough, even in base form, to be considered. But in both cases spend the money the higher you get up the food chain the better the car gets mm-hmm. and when they're loaded sure. out you compare it to the competition this is the big thing that Kia and Hyundai are doing you compare them to the competition and they're incredibly affordable for what you get and it's not just well it was affordable but it's not that good no it's affordable and it's good it's good cases. and yeah. reliable
0: and Kia makes the budget work I, I do, do like that's crazy what they yeah. do for the warranty it's amazing all right jumping over to the next category here which is Land Rover huh
1: we make SUVs hmm. yes
0: Land Rover huh I love the styling. Styling's cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. I have two. I have known a few people with Land Rover Discoveries, and this is how the Land Rover Discovery goes. It's not on my list because this is how the Discovery goes. I love it. It's been in the shop a lot. That's, that, everybody I've known that's head of Discovery has had that conversation. The only person I know, and it's a distant relative, that actually had a Discovery that he bought used and it only ran, the amount of preventative maintenance he did with that was, well, of course it runs because it it didn't actually ever break on him, but he was meticulously proactive in putting it in to have blank done. So there's a trade-off yeah. there where I'm like, yeah. clearly it, it, it ran great for him, and he was never once stranded by a surprise, but he was meticulous, and he was way ahead of, you know what, I, you know, I'm going to get this worked on. Okay, great. So anyway, I can't say Discovery for that reason. However, I am going to say Evoke. Okay. okay, I like the Evoke because the Evoke I thought was a real success on the part of Land Rover to come down market and to spread out. <laughs> now it's not. Now it's not Qualify cheap. That. It's Qual- not cheap. It's not cheap. <laughs> Qualified, but segment. they did a really good job. They came. It's got a four cylinder. It obviously has much discussed styling, but they did a good job of taking a brand that had a mystique mm-hmm. and branching out into a new market and slightly lower in the market. I think it was a success there. And I think if you look at things like the, the sister company now, the Jaguar E-Pace. Sure. Because I think sure. in many ways a response to the trail that the Evoque blazes. Now, why they made a convertible version, don't even get me started. I'm not going there. I'm just saying I think it's an interesting success in that regard. Also, the big boy, the Range Rover.
0: Yeah. The uh-huh. Range
1: Rover is – this isn't a direct correlation, but follow me. The Range Rover <laughs> is the luxury version of the Wrangler. It's in a class by itself. If you're shopping for that, you're going to get that. True. If you've ever driven a Range Rover, they have a feel, the leather and the materials. It's very specific to that brand, that car. You get the essence of Range Rover. Pardon me, the essence of Land Rover. When you drive a Range Rover, they are cripplingly expensive, (laughs) and can be that (laughs) to maintain as well. Okay. Yes. But it is every time I drive one, I and I've driven one a few times. I just think, all right, I get it. I don't want it, but I get it and it very much and they have such ridiculous off-road capability. It is like somebody took a Wrangler and just said, "How awesome can we make this off-road?" and then let's sell it for how many commas does that have? Let's sell mm-hmm. it for a lot. And it's got all kinds of crazy tech. It isn't a class by itself. I it's never I would never say to somebody you should go get a Range Rover because wow. But at the same time, they do what they do very well and that is the showcase truck.
0: Yeah, that's true. I My experience comes from actually 14, 15 years ago when I worked for a guy and had a coworker and both of them drove Range Rovers. One was the LR4 and the other was the Discovery Sport. And
1: my coworkers. But those are both discoveries. Wife. I'm talking Ranger over big
0: boy, but keep going. Well, they're they're not the full high end, but they're still yeah. very expensive. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. The regular sure. non supercharged Discovery Sport was still sixty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Still yeah. very expensive. Yeah. And so he bought it for his wife, and while she was driving, the electric parking brake engaged. Oh my gosh. Well, it didn't do anything while she was driving because the car is so big and heavy and so powerful. Yeah. It just heated up the rear disc so hot that it then cracked the entire hub later on. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and for some reason, I think they were out that money. I don't know that it was a warranty issue or anything. They were just out that money. And then the LR4 apparently had wiring harnesses made out of plasticky liquid cheese okay. that mice really <laughs> love. <laughs> <laughs> and they crawled up underneath the hood where it was warm from the engine turning off. And then they discovered the wiring harness that's made out of cheese. And they chewed through everything. And that was like two or $3,000 to replace the entire wiring harness. And I went... So Range Rover, Land Rover, what you're telling me is don't buy one. That's the message that I'm getting. That was 14, 15 years ago. Yes, I do like what their portfolio does and says, even though they have, in my opinion, not really played up the world's premier off-road vehicle. You can go almost anywhere in these things because the air suspension, all this Mm -hmm. stuff. But then there's this cachet alongside it that has grown into... You're a poser, and you just drive one because you know you just that, want that. That look.
1: definitely has happened, and definitely you see that in LA. I've told you about the. Uh, I work at a film studio. Progression, right? Range Rovers <laughs> on that progression, so that happens for sure. Sure, it surely is. Yeah, definitely. We should talk Lincoln. Lincoln used to be. We used to say Lincoln, nothing to see here. And in the last uh-huh. year or two, that's changed. I think they're making. <laughs> I think they're making a real play for their own part of the market especially with
0: Matthew McConaughey in charge,
1: that to was, quote Matthew. With Matthew McConaughey in charge. He's
0: now in it, charge of Lincoln. Isn't he in charge? <laughs> it appears that he's in charge of Lincoln. Drive to the sweet spot. <laughs> drive a Lincoln. Drive right to the sweet spot. Oh, my gosh. Sweet
1: spot. Oh, my gosh. Did you know he teaches a film course at UT? No kidding. Yeah. That, Still? Apparently. apparently he What sort it. of vehicle does he drive to the film course in? Well, let's hope somebody gave him a Lincoln. Let's hope they did. Yeah. I do like that their SUVs are
0: inspired by travel. I do like the consistency, and it speaks to a little bit of heritage, and I yeah, do like they yeah. are actually influenced by Range Rover. I think Lincoln went, now, who should... Who did, Range Rover, let's interpret that, and it's actually successful. So the Aviator, the Corsair, the Nautilus, and the Navigator are all travel-inspired names, which... Mm-hmm is cool it's yeah. okay Agreed. there's a consistency yeah, yeah. there i like it because their name they're not you know the old mk anything
1: that was just Agreed. not Agreed. successful for they've made themselves for sure it's
0: actually they look quite elegant and they're well built and i i think they're kind of turning around especially with matthew in charge
1: well also we've talked about this on a recent podcast right at the the turn of the year we talked about best and worst we talked about the la auto show and a bunch of stuff we've lincoln's come up a few times of mm-hmm. late because yeah. we sat in everything at the la auto show and this is the thing that that I found really interesting. Five, ten years ago, everything just looked like you took a Ford product and you made it 10% different and you sold it as a Lincoln. Right. And now I'm going to go through the ones you just mentioned. The base, Corsair, is the Escape. Mm -hmm. The Nautilus is the Edge. The Aviator is the Explorer. The Navigator is the Expedition. Right, right. Yes, they're related. But if you climb in them, it's not like, oh, I see it. You go, huh. It's not readily apparent, This looks very unique to Lincoln in many ways, and the interiors are very nice. They are a total alt-luxury buy. You don't buy a Lincoln, I don't think, because you've always wanted a Lincoln. I think you want something different than somebody else you know in that category. And they're making a worthwhile—I think it's an interesting compare and contrast with the Range Rover. I agree with you there. Okay. Well, then that means we have to come up with a new tagline
0: for Lincoln, and I think I've got one. Okay. Lincoln, great for music videos. Are you, are you Michael Bay? Are you filming a music video?
1: Lincoln, we're making a video anyway. Also, the Continental. I think the Continental is trading on its history still. Yes, but at least no it does have the really good interior that is in some of these others. And so, again, I think it's an alt buy. I don't think it's a. I don't, I don't think it's a. I need a Lincoln Continental. It's I a think double it's a, alt. Maybe there's there's a used Phaeton in there before I.
0: <laughs> Sitting in the back of the Continental makes you pensive and thoughtful, deep in thought as you gaze
1: across the, the Lincoln Continental, because I couldn't find a Phaeton.
0: There we go. <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> wow. Jumping to Lexus, there's two on my list. They're pretty high end. First of all, the LFA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the LC500, which you think is a double alt as well. There's like two steps of cars before you'd consider buying that. Mm-hmm. However, Todd and I did drive one mm-hmm. at a track day at Willow yes, Springs yes, a yes. few years ago with the traction control off, it suddenly gets spicy. Uh, somewhat, yes. It was interesting yes. and I thought, "Well, this where has this been lurking?" So it was sort of like an overgrown Lexified 86. Well, and it was I actually fun. Think,
1: I've said it before and, I'm, and I and I really stand by this. I think the LC500 drives and is like to be inside is like the typical stereotypical corvette buyer wants a corvette to be hmm. Hmm. they want it to be an amazing place to be okay long legs go cross-country really flashy to look at uh isn't too hard on my back feels really good on the bumpy road near my house yeah, yes. i don't need to drive it fast but if i do drive it fast it surprises me the corvette does all those but i think the And again i'm going huge stereotype here the retired guy that buys a Corvette as the only nice car he's ever had, I think he would be happier in the LC500. I think you're right. I mean, remains to be seen with the
0: new C8. I think that's going to change a lot sure. of perception for people. Oh, for sure. For
1: sure. But I, I
0: can see that. I so see I, that. I do
1: like the LC500. I, I I want to make a general statement about Lexus because the Lexus fans are rabid. They are one of those brands where the Lexus fans are rabid. They really are. For sure. For sure. And my my mother-in-law's own multiple. I know a lot of people own multiple, and I have to go there right now. If you're buying a luxury brand and you need it to run, you buy a Lexus. They're just reliable. Pretty much the end. Exactly. That is the entire list there for I want a really good buying experience and I need it to just run in spite of me. Lexus, and we're finished. The brand in general, and we've driven, honestly, the entire portfolio in the last six months. Mm -hmm. The brand in general suffers from a situation where they are incredibly reliable, and they're bland. They don't have a driver dynamic feel in general to their cars. Yes, but they're
0: very specific towards the in-car experience. So the focus has shifted. Rather, you and mm-hmm. I are looking for that, you know, European the big sedan kind of driver focus, or even the mid-level, the the five series, the RS seven. You know, those kinds of cars, and mm-hmm. we would yeah, yeah. find it there. This is, I think, very specific to. You're looking around and you think, well, this is a nice touch there. That's a soft touch material. That feels good. I like that support and I like looking at that. And so it's very much in that vein, which does tie in with what you're saying Mm -hmm. about the buyer in particular, not necessarily being interested in the driving experience. And maybe you have a second or third car that fulfills that need. Possibly, yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's also plenty of people that just own a Lexus and it runs and it's great and it's luxurious and…
1: And I Fine. feel like when I feel like when people come to the defensive Lexus, the first thing they bring is, Yeah, but the Lexus will run. True. I won't deny that. True, yeah. I won't deny that. They they will compare it to a more dynamic car and say, Yeah, but the Lexus will run. Yes. But I'm the guy that look, I mean, come on, I have a blown up lancer. I'm the guy that I want to have something that is fun to drive. For sure. And then I understand that there's sometimes that there's going to be consequences to that, meaning, oh look, that doesn't run anymore. <laughs> so that is the trade off. I also think that sometimes the interiors of the Lexus right now are Superb, Fantastic. And other times they've taken that design and they've stretched it too far. And now the center stack is muddled. And it's like, where is Mm -hmm. that thing I need with the – why isn't it – oh, it's – oh, wait. No, that's not – oh, it's over there. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time in some of their product doing that because they're trying to take the same design and make it work for everything. And that interior isn't really working. It was perfect in the LFA. Yeah. It works in the LC500. It's not great in everything. I will say there's two others I do have to mention real quick before we leave Lex's brand. The IS – 350 F Sport when we first drove it, we were very impressed.
0: Yeah. Because it yeah.
1: is a it's a solid B plus student. It it gets okay. an eight in every category. There's no tens, but there's no category below an eight. It's just a solid performer. And so I think if you're buying in that category, it's worthwhile. I also think the G S is a stealth mobile. The G S with the okay. big V eight. Okay. I, I'm not buying it because it's a dynamic powerhouse, but as we've already said, we know you know it'll run tons of space, decent interior materials and by the way, rear wheel drive V8. It's a stealth machine.
0: Okay, fair enough. There is a a defining characteristics that we have discovered about Lexus and that is interior cubbies that exist for inexplicable reasons. In the recent NX300 F Sport that we drove, the yeah, we center have- of the right at your hand, so you you lay your arm, your right arm on the armrest mm-hmm. and their hand falls right on a a material, a piece. There's a tab right there, and you pull up, and it's just a mirror on the other side. It's just a vanity mirror with an, a cubby underneath that is good for nothing. It doesn't hold your phone, doesn't really hold your keys, sunglasses don't fit, mints in a weird-shaped container might. That's it.
1: Just a handheld little
0: freestanding mirror. It's just, just a free a mirror. A mirror, and we have our own ideas about what that might uh, <coughs> exist for. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was very strange to see that.
1: Anyway, moving on. What I find funny is alphabetically is obviously how we're going through this, and we happen to step from two cars that are pretty much the opposite. We went from Lexus to Lotus. (laughs) They are the opposite. You don't buy a Lotus because you expect reliability. You just don't. You just don't. Although, they're
0: Toyota-powered. Yes. And I wouldn't not
1: expect it to a, a
0: particular level. I'm not going to say these are going to run like my Lexus. But the, they've got Toyota engines. The joke
1: is lots of trouble, usually serious. That's what that's what the oh, acronym course, is. Yes. And of course there's, you know, Lucas Electrics. Get home before dark. Luckily they don't, don't have those. <laughs> anyway, exist. it's one of my all time <laughs> favorites. But but here's the thing the Lotus is first and foremost trying to be a driver's car. And the Lexus is first and foremost. I just like to compare and contrast. Lexus is first and foremost trying to be a reliable luxury car. They are Actually, approaching two very different targets. Mm. And look at me. I love my Lotus. Mm-hmm. And I drive mm-hmm. all the Lexus product and I go, this is nice. Sure. I'd like my Lotus, please. The Elise does make it in the last 10 years. It was sold in the US through 2011. Does it really? So yes, it technically, it actually makes actually the list. technically makes. Okay. It. All right. it, is in the, it is a car. I, I know I keep using this reference, but it seems to work for me. It is a car like the Wrangler, it's just off there by itself. Mm-hmm. You don't buy it because there's really anything else over there that's that far out sure you know the the elise is on that list the viper's on that list the wranglers on that list these are cars that are outliers the hellcat jeep grand cherokee yes they're pushed out to the edges of their market segment where it's just like do you want to come way over here in the weeds because you really like that that's what the elise is i love it i will always love it whether i keep mine indefinitely or not i just love the car it's a sacrifice car Oh, for sure. It requires a level of just, that's what this car's like. A, a, a big helping of that.
0: I will say that the Avora 400 is absolutely spectacular, mm-hmm. and I would own one in a heartbeat. It actually moved for me from just, okay, a little bit of an obscure British brand that's been around for a while, and they offer their engineering services, to, wow, this thing is well-built and screwed mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. and holy cow. Totally I agree. love the chassis for the Lotus and how it drives, or the Evora. Mm-hmm. But the 400 moved it up to a level of, okay, the quality is now here. I do like this. So 400, 410, GT, whatever those flavors of that Evora, spectacular car. I aspire to own that car.
1: I do too. I actually do have to say that we have driven the standard Evora more than most journalists before it became a Mm -hmm. 400. I think it is probably one of the most overlooked sports cars of the last decade. I hear you. The original Evora in supercharged form, is a spectacularly good car. It isn't as reliable, good, screwed together, blah blah as the Cayman. Which is why right. it gets it falls right. down the list. I mean
0: that's what I come from and that's what I'm used to and But, but that's the truth of it. It, yeah. it
1: just it can't be held up by the Cayman, but man, you get it and you're just like, this is amazing to drive. The four hundred is the one that achieved similar status as far as everything feeling right. Yes, for sure. But for that sure. but you can get the first Genivoras now for cheap. And I have to tell you there's a part of me that says as much as I like my Elise if I'm spending forty-five grand, which a lot of the leases are, I think I'd rather get the Evora. Really? Uh, At I mean, thirty thirty-five, the Elise is the is the play. At forty-five, it's like I could get an Evora for that and I could have a much more kind of usable car. Yeah. Oh, apparently great. Elises have disc brakes
0: all the way around. I've heard
1: that they have four wheel disc brakes. I'm not sure. I think they may have a V ten in them as well. Yeah.
0: All right. In the last ten years, Products from Maserati include the QP5, the fifth generation, because it was technically built Uh, from 2003 until 2012, Okay, and I do have a love for this car now that I I never had before. I didn't know. It took ownership and driving and reviewing and comparing to the big brand new sedans that is a TV episode now. That's coming.
1: Yeah, a couple weeks away.
0: That I'm excited to share that episode, but I'm excited to what you've come away with too, because it's Mm mid-engine, it's front mid-engine, and we both went... this actually handles pretty well it handles
1: surprisingly well it's actually
0: actually, kind of fun Despite all the negativity, all the stuff, and I remain...
1: All of your own negativity. I, I, <laughs> all of your own rage re- re- exactly. de- it, yes.
0: I am resolute that Maserati in 2020 will introduce something that everybody says, yeah, Maserati's cool again, and I'll be over here waving the flag saying, I told you so. <laughs> I came late, but I'm still leading the I, charge.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: I wasn't on board for a long time. I've only been on board for like eight months now, but... <sighs>
1: I told you so, somehow. They, they have very tenuous connections to Alfa Romeo, mm-hmm. and I would buy an Alfa over a Maserati every single time. I
0: think it depends on what that Maserati might be. I would buy it every single time. Unless, we'll now,
1: they're talking we'll about a mid-engine coupe which I think is going to very much be built on the 4C architecture. (laughs) If they can make it handle better than the 4C, if they can make it more reliable, then that might uh, change my opinion. But I would almost always go Alpha over Maserati. Fair enough. But what driving this
0: QP5 has instructed me and informed me that they are no strangers to handling goodness. I agree with that. Because it's in the QP5. I have not driven the brand-new QP6 or the Ghibli or the LeVar. The Levante, <laughs> the, the, the
1: raised. You haven't driven the raised, the raised car. That's
0: what Levante means. You've driven the
1: four door car, but not the raised car. Have the, you driven
0: the two door car? The, uh, I have not. <laughs> Actually, I found out that one of my friends from Art Center designed that car. Anyway, he, Jeremy, he designed the
1: two door. He designed the
0: coupe. The, the, the coupe. Boy, yay. Anyway, so yes, names that mean things. The here proportions at of everything else, and I, I want sensuous styling out of Maserati. I want beautiful, sensuous stuff. And there's been some intersecting cool shapes and then it's just a, this jarring intersecting element that just yeah what why is that there the proportions of the the the, the, the raised the raised yeah. they're they're terrible they're not good looking mm. and so it keeps me from loving new products of Maserati but this mid-engine Maserati <laughs> in the middle of 2020 has given
1: me hope all right we'll see we'll see we're moving on to Mazda Mazda is one of those brands that we love because they their approach is they would like to have good driving vehicles. And in general, this is my kind of banner for for Mazda, in general, I feel like they have one of the most fun-to-drive cars in almost every segment. It doesn't mean it's the best in every segment, but generally one of the most fun-to-drive cars in every segment. They've also done a really good job, especially in their current setup, of making cars that I think feel more luxurious than the price points suggested. That's a great, great characterization of what Mazda's
0: ethos is, I would mm-hmm. say. You get into Mazda and you think, well, this is too nice, and how much did this cost
1: again? Yeah, they do a really good job with it.
0: You know, the RX-8 technically ended inside this decade. Mm. A 2011 RX-8 R3 could still theoretically make this list.
1: Just under the wire with the Elise. That's <laughs> very funny. Sliding
0: yeah. in just a toe on the first base. All right, okay. But the top of my list is the brand new MX-5 RF with the upgraded engine. I have rediscovered Mazda. You know, I'm on board with Mazda. The Miata's fine. It's fun. It's just a, a lightweight, slow car. Versus yeah. a lightweight, yeah, yeah. fast car—that's uh-huh. been all the difference.
1: Okay, yeah. What? And you don't have to get the R the RF. Just get the new engine with the 180 horsepower. Exactly. RF soft top, whatever, that whatever you like. Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Mazda six is certainly on the list, and the new Mazda three. The actually the hatchback is something we've not driven yet, but we've driven true, true. the sedan version of the new Mazda three extensively. Yeah.
1: We have uh, the Mazda three in general has been a standout. You know, they don't make a Mazda speed version anymore, which is unfortunate. Agreed. Uh But those were great. But here's yeah. the thing. Keep going back the generations of the Mazda 3. It's a solid car, period. Whatever generation you have, it's a solid car. We like the, the current one. The one just prior, we have debated if we think the one prior actually handles better than the current one. Mm, Yeah, But this is when pushed hard. I think the average person driving it in a normal way wouldn't worry about it. But I think it was a little bit more fun to drive, a little bit better dynamically in the prior version. But they've done uh, now a solid rear axle, and they've given you a lot more space and a little bit less vibration, nicer ride as a result. And so that has sacrificed other places. But the Mazda 3 is a standout for sure. The car that comes up all the time on this podcast, if you're shopping for five-seat SUVs, Hmm. CX-5. It really we is. say we just say go get a CX-5. It it is one of those cars that creates blind spots elsewhere cuz it's solid enough in that in that category that other stuff doesn't get recommended cuz it's just go get a CX-5 and be
0: happy. Fully agreed. And we do like the CX-3, but I think given the choice it'd be an easy win for the CX-5. It just it's not that much bigger, it does so much more. It's incredibly nice inside, drives well. CX-5 we constantly recommend. And uh yeah, that's definitely on the top top of the list for the SUVs. you, you
1: mentioned Mazda 6, didn't you?
0: Uh, I did mention yes, I did mention Mazda Six. Even though yes, Mazda Speed Six was prior well, that, generation. That, that's not in this but, decade. Yes. But certainly Mazda
1: Six is a brilliant car. The, the the thing about the Mazda Six is there's always been a couple people that join us for the Utah meetup that bring their Mazda Sixes because that's the car they drive. Right, right. And they just hoon them. Yeah, just, for they sure. hang with the pack. It does a great job. The trunk is enormous, enormous in that car. It is the overlooked alternative to the Camrys and the Accords of the world. I think it is the better car to drive. In the better car to drive category, I'm going to say this. Watch our No Minivans piece from last season. Mm. We have a Mazda CX 9 in there. Yeah, good point. It is genuinely really good to drive. It is the dad's a driver's car person, and I had to buy an SUV. The problem is the trade off in seven seaters, it's not that big and usable, mm. but it drives well. So, where's your trade off? Of what you need. Such an interesting history of
0: Mazda. If you're fascinated, go look up their corporate information because they were founded in 1920, and the reason they actually exist is because they're located in Hiroshima, and the atomic bomb that was dropped on the city that that company survived because they were out outside and sort of at the water's
1: edge. And there's a hill between them and the epicenter. Yeah, there was just this. You which know, is crazy hill, to think about. Yeah. Essentially
0: protecting them. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist as a company, if you yeah, can believe that. So yeah. fascinating history. Go look that up. As we jump to Mercedes-Benz, which has gotten really good within the last five years, the prior generation styling was really not to my taste. I think things were too beefy and not sexy enough. Okay. And that's right. really come around for me because, of course, anything that's AMG and Black Series is very cool. And Todd and I both like the MBUX Entertainment, the info system. Their new
1: updated inter- info is really, really good. And Classical so that's in
0: all sure. the brand new cars. So look for MBUX. Not that the prior gen was terrible. It just, it didn't have the personality that this new MBUX is. It's really, has. really well done, yeah. So starting off, 2011 SLS AMG has always intrigued me because they brought okay. the gullwing doors back. Yeah. Even though the interior on that car, I would say, is bleak. <laughs> for a supercar, for as much as this costs, it's just uh, That is a fair point. It's that just is a bleak, very fair point. And yeah. it's like, Winter's bone and the you know. wow
1: okay like, yeah all right
0: it's just steering wheel yeah okay things definitely change with the GTS yes that was called the AMG GTS which I think they have now changed to the GTC
1: because it was too close to I'm just everything going else with the GTS. Mercedes GT because there's so many little what the, the yes. third letter changes massively depending on which one you got doesn't matter they're all good they're <laughs> all fun genuinely
0: <laughs> I'm intrigued by the E63s wagon and sedan we had that
1: yeah. in Atlanta and I just. That thing has more power than the GT. It does. It does 620, I think, horsepower. It was insane. And torque. It's insane. Yeah, in a
0: wagon. So that's on the list. I really liked the A220. I
1: see that. I see that. Yeah.
0: I would. I would guess that you wouldn't like that as much because they're expensive. You load that up, and they're fifty to fifty-four thousand dollars. The way you
1: want it is over fifty grand. That is actually but my. I note. liked it. I said the new A class. My my note on that is that it is genuinely impressive, and so is the price tag. <laughs> because it's yeah. it, it's a yeah. really good car, but it gets really expensive. Cheap watch out of out of last season. Watch our comparison between that and the new Mazda three, because they almost feel like they have the same build sheet, but the results are quite different. I was fascinated to drive those two cars back-to-back because back they were both brand new. The A-Class is good. That My issue is, is that price. It gets steep fast.
0: Okay, all right. Well, welcome to Mercedes. Uh, for sure, for sure. The GLB
1: interests me, which we
0: were not able to go to the press launch in 2019. They actually held that in Phoenix in the Scottsdale area. And I wanted to go because I'm impressed with this thing. Okay. The styling is... Boxy's too strong, but I do like that is it is a strong look for mm-hmm. a small, mm-hmm. genuine seven passenger tiny SUV, mm. and I'm intrigued with this thing. I I like the forthcoming AMG 35 flavor of it, 302 <laughs> horsepower. <laughs> But I really, I really dig this car. I just, I'm intrigued by it for, you know, families for, you don't need the the huge SUV, but you need something that's still spacious, really versatile. I like it. And of course the GLS, which is their new huge seven passenger, we did produce a fast blast on that. And the reason it's on my list is because of their dynamic suspension. Now this is available Available on other other Mercedes models, Mm -hmm. but when you apply it to kind of the biggest thing they make short of an S class, yes this thing drives better than it should and they lean it's it's crazy it leans how they lean. into the corner at 90 on yeah. the highway and you think well this is a non event
1: yeah. <laughs> this is kind of fun it hunkers it acts like a motorcycle well, it tries to well the problem yeah. is you think 90 huh it'll do 90
0: Wondered what 95
1: feels like. Kids, your belts
0: are on, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so impressive. And then, of course, again, the CLA 250
1: wagon that you and I had in Frankfurt. That was fun. I was just really loved good. that thing. Yeah, without without being a big heavy-duty engine. The thing about uh, Mercedes that I have to say real quick is the AMG flavors of all their cars make them more fun than they are otherwise. The, For sure. A- AMG is to Mercedes what Hellcat is to Dodge. Ah, my God. my God. You throw the AMG... Tuning to the car. And it's like, this became surprisingly fun. I do like that A-Class. I'm with you on that. I have to include, we've mentioned it before, the GLA AMG 45. Oh, sure. That's that on, is the sure. grown-up hot hatch. You, you've worked your way through all the standard hot hatches. You want something a little classier but still in the hot hatch feel. Excellent. It's a hidden hot hatch. They sold it as an SUV. It isn't an SUV, my enthusiast friends. That is a hot hatch. Very fun. We drove that a couple seasons ago against the Macan incredibly fun car. And now this gets around my problem with Mercedes. Now they're cheap used. Mm-hmm. There's apparently no second buyer for that car and it's great. Bring it. Go get yourself a Mercedes hot hatch. Be happy. Yeah, for sure.
0: All right. Jump to mini. Well, it's mini JCW Cooper S of any flavor of any year. I like Minis. I do the rest of the product for- portfolio that is designed by marketing people to capture sales in other markets yeah. to make money. I understand Absolutely yeah. go make yeah. that money.
1: But from a driver's enthusiast point of view, I just like the Mini. The the thing about them is they shine the most when they play to their name, when mm-hmm. they when they stay small and they are suffering from they have a specific design and aesthetic that everything has to have. It has to look. I mean, you know a Mini instantly. You, you, you could blindfold a person, drop them in a Mini, pull the blindfold off. I'm in a Mini. <laughs> I mean, take the badge and the Mini, you just know. Okay? They have an aesthetic. But yeah. that has been mixed with essentially marketing, which is the next one needs to be a little bit bigger. because People like it to be a little bit bigger. No, it's a Mini. You bought a Mini. I still so, miss Spot. So, he, was, he was awesome. Somebody at Mini should have towed the line here and been like, we sell a car whose name is Mini. And then you think whose history is tiny? What does we're that not mean? going to make bigger ones. Yeah, yeah. I think when you stay with the smallest, most powerful mini you buy, you can buy, bravo. The bigger they get, and the less powerful they get, the more they just become. Uh, okay, it's got quirky design, and I'm going to go over here and buy something else, which is too bad. So Cooper S or John Cooper Works, if you can. But the problem is the special editions of those little cars. We were looking at one at the LA Auto Show; it was like fifty grand. <laughs> There is that. They problem. should be. They, yeah. Honestly, the 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 perfect mini. And I realize this was when they came back out in oh three, and the one I had was oh five, and kind of along these lines. The perfect mini is around thirty grand, with just enough horsepower to be fun, and it's smaller than you think,
0: mm-hmm. sure. and
1: surprisingly good use of space. Because that's how they started. If they kept doing that, that plays to the brand. Not everything has to be an SUV that fits five people and a dog with a. It's a mini.
0: Done taking, taking a page out of the book of Porsche. Call it the Mini-T. You know how they name T for every lightweight, stripped-down, fun (laughs) model? It's the Mini-T. Okay, And we're done.
1: We're longtime users and big believers in Griot's Garage car care products. That's because while many other brands are just rebranded versions of the same few products, Griot's Garage has developed, manufactured, and bottled bespoke car care products since 1990. In fact,
0: many of their first customers were collector cars displayed at Pebble Beach. Griot's is a family company based in Washington State, still dedicated to having the best products for every car and
1: every budget. As a matter of fact, I learned my certified paul Owen car care style from Griot's. We've both used Griot's Garage car care products on our own cars for over 20 years, and we wouldn't use anything else. If you're wondering how to get going, they offer free training and techniques through their videos and website, and starter kits to help your car look its best. Griot's Garage products are 100%
0: guaranteed, and all liquid products are made in the USA. They offer a 100% lifetime guarantee, so give them a try.
1: When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code every day for 10% off your order. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com.
0: Steven is near Raleigh, North Carolina, writing to us because he's trading in beanies and campfires.
1: (laughs) I I think I know what that means. Used to do them, and now I don't. (laughs) I used to be on the marketing brief. Now I've (laughs) left. Exactly. Stephen currently drives a 2016
0: 4Runner. It's got plenty of mods for off-roading. Just doesn't find himself going off-road as much as he'd like. He's had lots of trucks and SUVs, but now he would like a car. Okay, all right. He and his wife are expecting their first child in April, so it'll have to fit a car seat. Love it. His wife currently drives a 2018 Audi Q3 and wants something a little bigger, and he says there's no arguing there. There's no arguing.
1: He's perfectly happy to go bigger. Yeah, 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 for sure.
0: He says, I, on the other hand, would like a sporty four-door. Needs at least a V6. He doesn't really like four-cylinders. Okay. Okay would prefer all-wheel drive or rear with a very nice budget of around $45,000. And he does work on his own stuff. He okay, says he works on cool. his own cars. like it. So he would have to have a car seat in for the pickup duties. And he's been looking around at M3s, Stingers, Cadillac CTSVs, Chevy SSs, mm-hmm. Golf R's, Audi A5 Sportbacks, Quadrifolios, and, of course, nine, nine, seven, 911s. Nine I love that
1: the, it's, it's four-door, 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 four-door. Four and a 911. Because, nine you know, I'm shopping. <laughs> you know they make those. that. That's In very the, funny. They make the 911 4 Yes. Door. You could actually just go get a Panamera and just fuse the world. Anyway, yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. He can't stand the look of the Veloster. He says that is a hard no. Sorry I had to say it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. He only drives far on the weekends, and he really likes the push-back-in-the-seat feeling, even though he's never been on a
1: track. So he likes power. Yeah. Which power. This is a thing for guys coming out of trucks, though. It's a thing for guys coming out of trucks. Because trucks, let's be honest, generally because of the way that they are geared and the torque we talked about in Atlanta. A jump. The the yeah. line. You hit it off the line, and that's where you go, like, yeah, I've got a surge. And you hop in something like an FRS, and you go, where did it go? Where's the surge? Yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: So, again, he's near Raleigh, North Carolina, so not too many crazy roads. Really close. He can drive manual, but he said he'd have to teach his wife. So. I'm guessing no manual. That's kind of what I'm.
1: Yeah, I'm picking the, up on you. Here. Guys have enough going on. When you have a little one around, it's honey. Let's go learn manual. That's no. That that's not happening. She wants a car. She can just hop in with child and go.
0: I'm going to teach you to ski and drive a manual, <laughs> and we're going to do a whole bunch of new activities you've be never be done awesome. before.
1: While we have a two month old, it's going to be great. It's <laughs> good. You're going to you're going to love it. You're going to be very happy with me. Yeah.
0: Stephen's wife likes the Telluride Tiguan Atlas Rav4 XSE. And the Q5, so any additional recommendations?
1: Okay. I'm going right.
0: to just say it flat out, the Kia Telluride. You heard it at the top of the podcast as one of the cars Kia has brought. Yeah. I like Kia as a brand, and the rest of their portfolio is good. But the Telluride is a standout. Yeah. It wasn't until the stinger came along that everybody went, huh? Kia? What's a, what's this over That's here fair. now? That's fair. Yeah, and then yeah. the Telluride dropped last year, mm-hmm. and they're selling. I see them everywhere. Yeah, People are... They're picking up on this. There's, They're buying. Them. There's
1: big wait lists on those. They're there's are big awesome. wait lists. There is a yeah, reason. Which there should be for sure. Absolutely. So, Stephen, tell your ride for your wife. Maybe I will say I, I love to tell. You, if you want to go that big, I will say this: When my wife and I had our our son, okay, we went and bought a big seven seater, and then we realized we weren't going to have more kids. We, why do we have a big seven seater? So if you but don't in-laws. want to go that yes, if you don't want to go that big right away, if she wants to go higher than Q3, we mentioned it earlier, Mazda CX five. Fair enough, fair enough. Drive a CX-5. I think if you're looking at the RAV4 XSE, I think yeah. that's worthwhile. If you're going to drive a Q5, drive a, drive a CX-5 because I think that's the better choice. But we're mainly shopping for you. I like your, your four-door sedans you've listed. I want to go through some of those and kind of uh, dig in a little further. I have the car for you, Stephen. Well, good. With money left over. Look at you. You can get it brand new. What did you do with Paul? I,
0: <laughs> I'm a robot. I'm in for Paul, sitting in for Paul. Genesis G70. All yeah. day long, yeah. hands down, yep. start and finish Genesis G70. I looked at I the Stinger. It. I considered the Julia. But then I I keep landing on the Genesis G70. It's awesome. Get one brand new. Get one slightly used and save even more money. Yeah. But then where I was leading to was the genus g70 in the garage
1: next to the telluride i in the see garage. well done all right yeah, yeah. i just, sister cars and yet not the same brand you did well there you you're right very the well. telluride yeah, yeah, is
0: yeah. large if you have the need great but i do agree with the mazda it's an excellent car but i'm i'm just i'm standing from the g70 because of the steering feel because of the styling because of the power mm-hmm. it will push you back and then yeah. you keep digging in it's got a lot of power.
1: Yeah. It's that same big V6 that's in, actually, the Telluride and in the Stinger. It's all the same and now, V6. turbocharged over Ex- here. Excellent power. Excellent power. Oh, you're going to thoroughly enjoy that. Brilliant. I-, I have the Genesis on my list as the alt to the Stinger as well. I think you should drive them both. I think you're going to prefer the Genesis because it has more of a small car feel. Mm-hmm. The-, the Stinger is bigger. It's just flat out bigger. It is. So I think the G70 is a great one. I do have to say, I love that you, you mentioned the Alpha Julia. I think you need to drive that. It is a four-cylinder unless you go Quadrifoglio. I'd be very curious for you to drive it. You need to drive one that has the limited slip diff, and you need to find a road with some corners, mm. which might make it irrelevant for you. If you're going to get a Quadrifoglio, that is the version of that car to get if you can afford it. But the problem is at forty-five grand, you are buying a few-year used one, how comfortable are you with that? I personally would do it, mm, but sure. I know a lot of people sure. are like, "Okay, used Alfa Romeo that doesn't have good reliability or, uh, reputation already. Do I want to do that?" I know that that's out there. So, but that's the thing: for forty-five grand, you're buying a used quadrifolio. Are you comfortable or not? I have two alts. Okay. All right. Because I do think the G seventy is way up there. That's just oh, they're gorgeous. Get yourself a, a. We're almost two gens back now. We are two gens back. The E ninety M three. Okay, all right. That is the four-door E90 M3. <laughs> that get was get two of those for forty five grand. That's the thing. Get an E90 M3 four-door and just enjoy. That yeah. is a fantastic, stealth dad car. Uh, we loved it in our Icon film, our BMW Icon film. Look, watch that one. That was a, a six-speed in that. And also, the owner took the stance and made it square. Mm-hmm. the The front wheels, the front yeah. tires on that are slightly smaller than the rears on stock form. He made it square, and it actually was... Even better, I thought. It was fantastic. The noise coming out of that car is proper. Great V eight. Lots yeah. lots of gas used by that car, so be careful of that. That's and the only problem. You mentioned yeah. the the CTSV, okay, but I actually think for you, ATSV. If you oh, like that's the Cadillac better. portfolio, a little bit smaller. ATSV yeah. is the better choice, and I think you would really enjoy it. That chassis is great. Those are those are kind of alts because I see where you are, Paul, and you may be right. The weather's changing, but the sun is still out and still baking your car's interior. All you need is a custom sunscreen
0: from Covercraft. These foldable sunscreens fit perfectly in the windshield of your car and they keep your car a lot cooler while you're off enjoying the sunshine or whatever you're doing. I have used these for years and I'm telling you, I swear by them.
1: These custom sunscreens from Covercraft are available in a whole range of colors and they're a simple, affordable way for you to keep your car cooler all summer long and protected from damaging UV rays all year long. We swear by our custom sunscreens
0: from Covercraft. It's one of our favorite car accessories. And remember, you can get 10% off your car sunscreen by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com or you can follow the link from our sponsors page. Jumping over to social media questions, starting off with a question from TLAPR, I believe on Instagram here, yes. Asking about transmissions. 90% of the market using the ZF transmission. Okay, we, yeah. we acknowledge uh, that. Yes, for sure. But the engines are mostly from the car manufacturer themselves. So the question here is, are we going to see engines coming from third parties, and I believe you mean Mm. suppliers, Mm -hmm. tier one, two or three suppliers, getting into mainstream cars? Mm. Quite possibly, but think of the powertrain and the engines themselves as being really, literally and metaphorically, the heart of that company. Yeah. yeah. They build those engines, that is their baby, their powertrain. Mm -hmm. Start with GM and Ford, crate motors, you know, all those Engines, that is their signature thing. They might get suppliers from Prince or Johnson Controls or anything else over here for seats or interiors or whatever. But the engines and the drivetrain, that is their thing. On down through the list, Japanese, Korean, all the European manufacturers, they build engines. With the exception of one company that I kept coming across, and that is Yamaha.
1: Ah, good point.
0: If you think back... The Volvo XC90 V8 from a couple generations ago and the Volvo S80 had a Yamaha engine in it. The Taurus SHO. Taurus SHO. The Lexus LFA was also a Yamaha engine, Mm -hmm. as was the Toyota 2000 GT. Mm. And one of the variants of the Lexus engine called the UR, and they've modified it and developed it, that particular block is from Yamaha. Now, Lexus has gone on to do all kinds of different things to it. They've made it theirs, but the block starts life. As a Yamaha block. So of anything, any manufacturer that is going to be at the top of the list to be able to do this, it'd be Yamaha. They have a track record. They have a long history of doing Mm -hmm. such a thing. And they have the development to be able to do it.
1: Sure. For any
0: other tier one supplier to come along and say, hey, I've got an engine. You have to think about parts and availability and service and integrating that into the dealer network. All the ramifications of Mm. what that means to service an engine. And then people are, okay, it's a bit unknown. Even though Yamaha, yeah, 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 you know, from they are the a great exception. Part, they were right. good.
1: That's interesting. Good point.
0: But they worked their way into the dealer networks and had mm-hmm. to, you know, support mm-hmm. everything the car company was doing. Mm. That's a Herculean task. Versus, hey, we just I built an engine, I stuck an engine in. Well, but Ooh, we look, gotta,
1: at, look at the flip side. All of the hate that the Zupra is getting right now. I went Zupra on purpose. Yes. because it has a BMW heart. Sure. Now there's sure. the argument. From Toyota and others, the Supra needs a straight six. Toyota doesn't make one right now, so they put in a new straight six. Where does that come from? BMW, because they make them. But then that is the beginning of the argument about not really a Toyota product because they didn't put a Toyota engine in it. Right. Right. Back to what you're saying. Exactly. That is the signature move for them. But you said it's a
0: BMW-built engine. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's not from anybody else. So, you know, that whole partnership is still being sorted out. They had to integrate Mm -hmm. all those parts and new part numbers and all that stuff into the Toyota whole ecosystem that just that's huge in and of itself not to mention any other third-party manufacturer over here some tier supplier over here you know bmw's a name it's like okay we know bmw we can count on them you know they've got infrastructure the ability to do this but that's a tall order otherwise so i'd say it's gonna be it's gonna be tough with electric cars everything changes
1: Hmm, interesting point. Instagram, Felipe Rodriguez says, he's living in Germany right now and contemplating getting a brand new, we can't buy it, Fiesta ST, the <laughs> European one we really want and can't get. His question is, is it worth spending the money for the performance package that gets him the limited slip differential? Is that necessary? He said, look, I I could just pass it up. But you should tell me. He said he lives close enough to the Hockenheim ring in Germany. He's going to be taking it to the track, but mostly it's going to be a back road car. You've kind of answered your own question. The answer is yes, you need it. And here's why I say that. The Fiesta ST that we love and talk about on the show a lot did not have a limited slip differential. And we talked often about the fact of how is this this good? Because there's so much going on with the front half of a front-wheel drive car Mm. that getting power down, leaving a corner is really difficult. And you get another example is the old Mazda Speed 3 had prodigious torque steer mm, you could yeah. go right off into the hedge if you weren't careful I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was just sure. pull right off the road so Tom has mentioned to me that one of the things because Tom is, used to work for us and he's working for Automotor and Sport yes. in Germany yes. and he drove the Fiesta ST I think the first time they made one of them he drove the new one and he was talking about how much the new version is great and the limited slip differential has helped. The main place you'll feel it is coming out of corners. If you were telling me I'm going to commute in this car, I'd say don't even worry about it. But you've told me specifically, definitely fun back roads and probably also track. You will appreciate having the limited slip diff. You would enjoy it without, but if you're shopping and actually specing the car, go ahead and get it. Colby M. on Facebook says with all the rumors of the new
0: 86 platform getting a larger, naturally aspirated boxer engine... The Supra starting their four-cylinder variant in March 2020. Mm -hmm. And then all these new rumors that have been flying around about Nissan potentially bringing the next Z car with a twin-turbo V6, which already exists and is built. Mm -hmm. Do we think that JDM car brands will bring their A-game one more time, one last time, before the inevitable electrification of everything? I hate that this is the thinking that we're at. I I don't love that. I, I think... Partially, you're right. Which thinking? Sorry. The thinking that, well, before everything finally goes electric, we just got to get it all out of our system. We better <laughs> better bring it this one last time. Old college try. Let's, let's do it, gang. Let's just do this one more hmm, time. Interesting. All because right. why does it have to just end there? Why does all the fun have to end at gasoline engines? Interesting point. Why all can't right. it? Right. Well, the next generation, all right, it'll be electrified, but we're going to bring a whole new set of... Driving fun, whatever that is, whatever we redefine it to be with a lighter weight platform or new battery tech or whatever that is. But again, all these SUVs and CUVs, we have to build electric to get the public served, to get it all out of our system, to get those sales numbers up before we can even think about looking at an electric fun car.
1: Yes, but I also have a counterpoint related to this for Colby, and that is you're speaking to the thing that we all are being told, and that is it's all going electric, and I'm gonna also say this. Fair enough. It's a good How time. soon is it really all <laughs> yeah. going electric? Is it in one generation? I, I don't even think honestly, I don't even think it's in our lifetime that it's all electric. I think every manufacturer is going Hard to have to say. a split market of things they're selling. I think there will be things that have got a lot of electric assist and still have a gasoline motor. If you think about the level of infrastructure that exists for gasoline and the lack of infrastructure that exists for electrics and all of the stuff that goes on into making batteries, we talked about this before, that is a limited commodity just like oil is, we're all being given the impression that we're all going to be in 10 years, everything's going to be electric. I'm going to go with no.
0: You mean across the board versus everything electric from one particular manufacturer? Yes. What's the
1: differentiator there
0: you're saying? Well, but, 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 saying?
1: I, but I, I don't think any manuf- well. From, I mean because we have Tesla, some... which is all electric. Of course. Of course. I don't think any and my of the major my grandfather died at age 102, so our lifetime like <laughs> a long time. <laughs> well, but but honestly, where every single car is electric Everything being sold is electric. Yeah, I'm, I'm I don't in think, agreement with you. I don't yeah. think we're headed there. I really don't, no. in spite of the impression we're being given. For sure. And I think that sure. fun cars are going to continue. Uh, let me rephrase. Gasoline cars are going to continue to exist. I love your point. Let's get fun cars that are electric cars as well. I'm all for that. I have one other thought for you, Colby, and that is look at the life cycle of good sports cars. Hmm. It's about 25 or 30 years between them all popping up. Look at the 60s. 70s is kind of wah, wah. 80s is really eh. 90s is awesome. 30 years later, where are we? 2020.
0: I mean, everybody's system throughout it, but I'm saying everybody
1: mm-hmm. is is there's kind of a surge coming back around again. All of these mm-hmm. manufacturers are going, there is a tiny market there that maybe we should serve that we left thirty years ago because oh. we couldn't serve it, and the cycle's coming back through because of new people that were the guys that dreamed about the cars when they were kids and now they work at the car manufacturer. You see what I'm saying, yeah, there's this yeah. generational cycle that happens and we're just about to hit it again. I think that's a factor here as well okay, so the answer Colby to your question is no. <laughs> That's the 30 answer. 30 minutes later. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> the
0: inevitable? No. All right. Hal Bullock says, how can we influence Toyota to bring the Yaris GR to North America? Well, we'll, hmm. we'll ask. We're actually meeting we'll with ask. Toyota next month, and yeah, we have their fair. ear to the PR and marketing folks at a particular upcoming event, and so we'll ask. How about that?
1: Hey, I like that, because we have so much power. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. They'll be like, no. Nah. Yeah. Why Yeah. Thanks for asking guys, but that's not happening. Yeah, right. anyway. Benedict asked me, he said, Okay, let's say the Phaeton never came into my life. Okay? <laughs> Hard to believe. And and the Lancer had still blown up. What would I have done? Would I have felt differently? Would I have spent the money to fix it? And if not, what would I have bought? Hmm. I the the cost and time related to fixing it is the main reason that I am not doing so. Now I have thank you two or three people that are interested in probably buying the car, which is cool. Uh, and they're going to make it their own project, which is awesome. Awesome. I hope that that happens with one of you. But the the thing about it for me is I don't have the – I mean, I'm editing. Let's be honest. I, and being a father and many other things, I don't have the money or time to put into that specific car to make it a monster. Plus, I need another car right now, which brings to the second question. What I probably would have done is I probably would have bought a really cheap Wrangler. Because they're plentiful around here. My wife already wants one. I would have needed a car that is do everything in the winter, and she's leaning that way right now anyway. Now, I would rather buy a nicer Wrangler, but I think I would have done emergency funds kind of, all right, let's get a Wrangler and move on uh, if it had been the short term. What's riotously funny to me and ironic about this entire story is that the uh, the Japanese hatchback blew up <laughs> and the please don't buy that old depreciated um, a German luxury car that nobody wants and constantly breaks has become my reliable winter car. <laughs> I love that. It's absurd. There are more videos coming on that car soon, actually. And you may have seen... Uh, over the weekend, uh, we had ridiculous snow, and I just decided to try to make that car a snowplow. And my wife said, we should film that. This is how I know she has the disease now, too. She's like, I you should it. film that. You should try to just blast through it. We should film it. So we, I put the, the Phaeton in its highest suspension setting, and I backed <laughs> it up against my driveway, and I just took a run at it. And, awesome. and it was four feet of, of snow. We'd had a major like blizzard of wind. Of you got of it snow. worse than I did. Oh, I did. Based it's, on where you're located, it's because of the wind that I get on the you high get plane nailed. there. Yeah, 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 for sure. So it looked like I'd never plowed my driveway, <laughs> and I promptly buried the Phaeton like all the way to the hood line in the snow. And then the when the wheels started spinning, every light on the dash lit up like we are now broken. Luckily, what <laughs> I to- I towed it out with the Cayenne, and now it all works. But it had a, a brief moment of I think you've killed me. But it's now my reliable winter car. I love that.
0: When she gets her Wrangler, uh. can we have her film a video where all the pieces are off the Jeep? So the doors, the top, everything's uh-huh. off, yeah. and it's in the winter, and mm-hmm. she's got face masks, ski goggles, <laughs> full gear, <laughs> snow boots, everything, bombing along in a snowstorm, and you can't tell—you can't. It's just this figure—it's just with ski goggles, person
1: driving completely open Jeep. She has to film that for us. That's very funny.
0: All right, there's a question here on Facebook from Devin Bain asking me to explain the stylistic thinking behind a floating roof. Nissan is doing it on everything, and it kind of, well, he says it looks dumb on the Altima, for example. Yes, (laughs) they're trying. And again, car companies want to find their corporate look. They want to find that signature element that defines them. When you look at the car and you think, now what is that? Oh, that's the new, and they hope you insert their brand as soon as you see that car. This Mm. is what car designers are striving to do from a stylistic and art perspective, help you recognize that is a BMW. That is a Mercedes. That is a blank. Okay. So a floating roof, it just seems it goes, there's all these car cliches and car designs cycle through school and cycle through people's artwork. Because everybody else is looking around at this Mm -hmm. and, you know, it started by, um, Jaguar over here on their mm-hmm. XJ and I didn't like it over there. So the only yeah. way it, to yeah, make yeah. it work is to buy the car in black so the, the yes, black so the floating post is, yeah. doesn't yeah. look out of place. So I think Nissan has been searching and they are in the midst of an old cycle because think of all the product in their lineup right now was designed five, eight years ago.
1: Interesting point. All right. So that
0: is an old thinking, everything that they're going to be coming out with and Mm. is in production. Mm. Now we haven't seen yet. And even that is two years old for the designers working on future stuff past that. Mm. Fair point. Fair point. So it's this cycle that is okay. We went with a floating roof and it was all approved by managers. And that's what we thought of at the time. And, hasn't aged well. So that's mm, when we talk mm. about things that age well, things that don't. Sure, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the type of styling cliche or element or thing that we don't think will look good. And they, you know, they cover it up with plastic panels and you're right. It, it lends itself to some cars and, but not to others. And I'm with you. I don't appreciate it on there because what's the point other than a stylistic theme that you just yeah, yeah. all agreed on.
1: What, what's the point? What does it do for your brand? It is amazing to me. And you've pointed putting that before, how, styling of cars will get stuck in certain niches certain uh, they'll just get stuck in a styling idea and that'll work its way through like every car maker Mm. until we blow it out and then we move on we've seen every variation oh no we haven't yeah exactly you're gonna do it too yay that's interesting as, as well we've got a question here from Parmalot that i want to try to answer on instagram he says i have a car cover but i've never used it through the winter Mm-hmm. So what are our thoughts on putting it on before a snowstorm and how terrible is it to get off? Honestly, Parmalat, the, the great thing about it, and I've used it on the Lancer. I've used it on the Lancer in the winter in massive snowstorms. The great thing about it is once you get the car cover off, your car is completely clear of snow. Mm-hmm. which is yes. awesome. The difficulty, I'll be very candid. The difficulty is you now have to grab that cover and you have to get, you know, whatever you use to clear off your car, you have to wipe it off. Now it comes off the cover. It doesn't stick to the cover. Like it does to your car. It comes off the, the cover easily, but now you have, let's be honest, a wet car cover that is enormous to put somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that could be in your trunk and be fine. I'm just that's the that's the, the only bad result is this cover that had snow on it. It's still got remnants of snow you'd have to put somewhere. But what you have to do is you have to sw- sw- uh, swipe the, all of the snow off the cover and then pull the cover off. And now your car is clean, mm-hmm. which is very yeah. cool. You just have this big uh, cover with bits of snow in it that now has to be somewhere.
0: Right, right. All right. Last quick question for me here from Chris Sun asking the coldest temperature That we have ever had to start a car in. Hmm. He sent a picture of minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit here. Hitting close to he says, a new record here last week. Chris, I'm not sure where you live, but he said the remote starter wouldn't work. uh, It was so cold. As a matter of fact, as you probably know, my sister and her family used to live in Alaska. And when I was visiting one Christmas, the coldest I ever had to start a car was minus 37 She beats me with a minus 42 and I'm sure there's somebody listening that's beat that and it's not good. A quick note, though, in Alaska in the 20s, the bush pilots, because my dad was in aviation insurance up there, so he got all the stories. I'm sure. Yeah, these bush pilots, it was so cold. When they landed, they would drain the oil out of their engines, put it in a container, and sleep with it overnight in their sleeping bag and hug the oil. And when they went outside in the morning, they poured the warm oil back in the engine, and the planes would fire right up. Good God. (laughs) That was in the 1920s. That wasn't
1: last week. Good God. But this was the
0: extremes in that kind of temperature. I hear what you're saying. It doesn't do well. You've experienced it in all kinds of cars. I
1: have. I have for sure. It's not
0: good, but, you know, engine block heaters are helpful.
1: And I don't know, if you're in Canada, I'm also one if your dash was set to Celsius. Negative thirty would be negative twenty two Fahrenheit. Okay, then that is very cold. So who knows? Either way, okay, either way we're dealing I, with cold. All right, I didn't well, look you, close. No, enough. you were saying you were saying negative. But I was saying minus thirty seven Fahrenheit. Yeah, which yeah. would be even colder It'd than he's dealing yeah. with. Yeah. So, but yeah. anyway, the point is cold
0: and ouch. Uh, glad your car got running, guys. Thanks for all your questions. As usual, we're going to be working towards all the ones we haven't gotten to yet. But continue to send your car debates, your topic Tuesdays and your car conclusions to everydaydrivertv at gmail.com or in the top right corner of the webpage, everydaydriver.com, mm-hmm. there's a contact button under the
1: About tab, and you can send your stuff there too. Next week, by the way, we are starting with Nissan as we continue our uh, walking through the best cars in <laughs> every manufacturer. We have kind of a pause on Nissan. Actually asked for by someone that works at Nissan that is remaining nameless. We're just going to riff about where nissan is and where we think they should go that may happen with other manufacturers but we are starting there as we continue this series we hope you guys are enjoying it and again if you wouldn't mind rating and review does help yes it'll be the business consulting process for (laughs) nissan next week that's what we want all right thanks again really appreciate it looking forward
0: to next time cheers everyone